Welcome to Hashtime with Navguzi Chuanuka. This is a place where we help you unravel social constructs, discuss self-development in line with mental health, emotional well-being, and everything in between that directly or indirectly affects us in the millennial world around us. If you're hearing my voice for the first time and are the kind of person who is not scared of being a better version of yourself even if it requires you to contradict who you were 24 hours ago, consider this your virtual home. I'm your host, Navguzi Chuanuka, and I cannot wait to engage with you in the various conversations. In this heartfelt episode, Faith Agume takes us on a journey through her struggles with suicidal ideation. From this conversation, we see a child whose esteem started to get stripped almost as soon as her father passed on. Join us as we delve into this personal story on navigating the challenging journey of living with and overcoming societal thoughts. Let's get into it. Hello, Faith. Hello. Introduce yourself. For someone that does not have a single awareness of who Faith is. So my name is Agumia Faith Jemima. I'm an author and I'm a team leader for Kwaimani Community, which specializes in mental health awareness and specifically suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. I work with young people from ages 10 to 32, and it's beautiful to see people get vulnerable and share their stories. So that's what I do. 10 to 32. Yeah. How did you get to this space? Is it something that you thought about at some point? And if you did, at what point did you feel like it's important for you to work in such a space? I had a similar initiative earlier, but it was specifically for people in the rural areas of Eastern Uganda. Western? Eastern Uganda. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, back in the day, doing what I used to do, it came easy. I loved loving people. I loved reaching out to people. And it was easy. I didn't have to think hard about a project. I didn't have to scratch my head and ask for consultations. I just knew what I had to do. I knew the processes. I knew every step of the way. But coming to this space challenged me a lot. Like It gave me a serious challenge. I had to be vulnerable which I wasn't back in the day. I used to just mask and go to strangers. They don't know what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. It's just merry make and go home. But like coming to this space, I had to be authentically myself, which I had never been before. But then I realized that I wasn't alone. There was just so many people going through the same thing. Personally, I didn't really have a support system through the struggle. So... I figured, how about I create a community of people who can rely on each other, who don't have to first open up for someone to know something is up. Someone will just be with them and know something is up. Mm -hmm. Someone will reach out anytime, understanding them fully without judgment. For how long have you been working with them? It's coming to a year. It's nine months. (laughs) No, actually, no. It's 11 months. So you are about to make a year. Yeah, we're about to make a year. Since you learned how to be vulnerable. Yes. Ah, You're a toddler. (laughs) (laughs) I found you in your toddling times, in your toddling stage. Yeah. That's very recent. Very recent. What was it like? What was scary on your part for you to be honest with your emotions? First of all, I was scared about how people were going to react because growing up, I just used to see the way people used to treat people a certain way because of what they could offer Mm -hmm. or what they could get from these people. Mm -hmm. So personally, I'm like, I can't let people see my weak points. I can't let people see my flaws. I have to be at my best all the time if I want to be treated a certain way. So Mm -hmm. I put that wall up so high. So coming out was really scary. I'm like, will people accept this person? Will people accept a person who is just learning about themselves? Because I remember sharing sometime that I did not, up to now I'm learning what my hobbies are, what things I love, what, who is me? Like I'm still learning about myself because I had carried on charades for the longest time. So 
it was scary. It was really terrifying because I sampled with a few people mm-hmm. opening up just a tiny bit. And every time I sampled opening up, it would end up bad, like really, really bad. By bad, what do you mean? The person either blocks you everywhere and they never talk to you again. Wait, by opening up, are you talking about what you're struggling with or you're calling them out? No, what I'm struggling with. And you get blocked? Yes. <laughs> I would get blocked everywhere. Or the person, you just find... Wait, the- no, wait. Don't, don't <laughs> want to speed. Let's wait. Yeah. So I come to, you come to me. Yeah. And tell me that something is bothering you. Yeah. And it is not in any way my contribution to your suffering. Yeah. But because I know you're struggling, I'm like, I just block you. Yeah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no personal attacks. No. You're just talking about yourself. Yeah. I remember sometime someone really close called me and they're like, you're so distant. You're so distant. We never get to see you anymore. It's been years. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what, Faith? Try this out. <laughs> so I tried giving them a little bit, just a little bit of what was going on. And they're like, you're really a bad friend. You're an emotional manipulator. You're a financial in- manipulator. When you open up, we now feel inclined to help. Okay. <laughs> and I shut up. So was this because they had helped already? No, no, they hadn't. So where does the manipulation come from? I see. <laughs> Why were they checking on you though? <laughs> 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 What's the instance of checking? Why was, oh my God. I think they felt like now uh, we have to help this one. We have to like help her out or take care of her now. She's in a dark spot now. I have to carry her through this. And because they didn't know how to deal with the emotions, they had to throw it back at you. I think so. <clears throat> What's it like now? Um, how did you get to a space? Because now you're talking about how you found yourself in a position where you had to be there for people. Yeah. But then you were also learning from them that you were supposed to be vulnerable. Yeah. What, how did that work out for you? It's actually amazing because through listening to these people and being there for them, being accountable, uh, for what I say and how I do or how I say it or what I do has helped me as a person as well. It has helped me learn how to relay some information mm-hmm. to people. It has also helped me learn more about how I can do it better. And also being in a space where I'm with, surrounded by people who have gone through the same thing and I don't have to mask a little bit. I do not have to sieve information. I just have to just open up and we encourage each other. Someone who just know that faith this week, you've not been okay. This week has been hard on you. Something like that. It has helped me actually now open up to family, giving them bits of information. Yeah. How early did you learn about mental health? 2018. That's five years ago. Yeah, just five years ago. It's almost the same period as I did. Because, <laughs> you know, I was struggling with something, but I'm like, maybe I'm just, oh, I'm being... <laughs> Sometimes when we are conditioned for so long, we forget like there are facts to these things. I also started thinking I was being bewitched. <laughs> No. I was like, am I just like this? Am I meant to be like this? Or is it just me? Why did it go as far as witchcraft? <laughs> what was going on that was not... I felt like, I am a pure target. <laughs> I was not getting... Okay, 
nothing in my life was making me happy whatsoever. I was a very, very sad person. Like someone would make a joke and I'm just like, ha ha. And everyone is laughing around me, but I just couldn't laugh. I couldn't smile. I'm like, ah, man, someone just wants me to stay in this state. <laughs> I must be unhappy for a reason. For how long were you in that state? I think um, for 20, from 2011 to 2020. Nine years. Yeah. Nine years. What was your life like in those nine years? Besides, the, like, nine years and nothing is moving. Yeah. Nine years. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> really? <laughs> 12 months. Yeah. What's, what's now 12 times nine? My maths is poor. <laughs> Trying to act smart and then it has failed. That's a very long time. Yeah. What kept you moving? What made you, what, what made you feel like, let me try, let, let's see what's coming out of you know, 2012, 2013 to 2020. The truth is, I just got, used to get surprised when I woke up. I'd be like, oh, I'm still <laughs> What am I doing here? And the next day, I wake, I'm like, why am I here? So you were living in a series of why am I here? What am I doing here? Yeah. Though I, the things I was passionate about, I was doing. I was doing them. But to block out whatever was going on in my head and whatever I had in fixed. So the continuous blocking out, I, just, I was just numb for years. I couldn't feel a thing like, you would say the vilest thing and I'm just like, okay. You do whatever. And I really didn't care. Really didn't care. Mm-hmm. Because I was really numb. You know, I... <laughs> oh my God. I talk about myself floating through life from 2014 to 2017. And it felt like those are so many months. Those are so, so very long time. I know you're talking about nine years. I'm like, friend, what? <laughs> that, that's, a lot, that's a very long time of doing the floating in life. Yeah. In your book, um, I need to look at the title. Do I read everything? <laughs> to leave or not to leave? Is it, yeah. is it just it? Yeah. You talked about somewhere where you felt like you were un- unworthy of love. Yeah. And yet in the same story where you give the narration, you paint a picture of you being loved dearly by your dad. Yeah. What could have gotten you to that realm of feeling like I'm not worthy of it? So um, I lost my dad when I was 11. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. And he's truthfully, he's the only person I had ever spoken to authentically in my life. <laughs> my days are with him, weekdays, weekends, all the time. I'm the firstborn. So I reached a point and I didn't know anything about what was going on in my mom's life. I just knew she worked in town. I knew one of her names. One. But uh, I didn't know anything else about her. Because all my time I was with dad, he used to take me for his big meetings and tell me sit and learn. <laughs> I would be among adults all the time. He's like, I hope you're learning. You know. He worked so hard to get to where he was and he would always tell me, um, so you have to, Educate yourself. You have to do things. You have to always be excellent to belong in places. Like, you really have to work hard. Mm -hmm. And he used to tell me that there's no place you can't belong because there's no human that is God. You can always approach any human on this planet Earth if you set your mind to it. 
So that kind of ignited a fire within me. I knew I would never settle for less. Mm-hmm. Work hard, push, be the like make sure despite the background just be your best. So when he passed, I was literally confused because I remember he passed then um you know schools they just pick you for like a day or two you know you have to go back to life real quick mm-hmm. <laughs> so i remember i was picked from school but uh i was a sickly child growing up so i felt sick i didn't really attend the whole thing and um i remember coming back to school and the newspapers had you know had covered the story of him dying So hey, people would be like, hey, Faith, we've seen your father in the news. <laughs> we've seen your father in the news. Hey, Bambi, seen your... Like, for the longest time, every teacher would meet you and be like, oh, Bambi, oh, Bambi. <laughs> Because he had really made a mark. He had really made a mark on society. He was a leader. He was always vocal about his opinion. Schools, my schools all knew him. He was really out there. So everyone for the longest time would be like, eh, diplomat of Africa. <laughs> like they, hey, how are you now? You know, the constant reminder that he's not here. Yeah. Now you're alone. But me, I would still be like, you know, movies. Eh? Movies. <laughs> movies. I don't think it's, I wouldn't really think it's movies. Because me, I always thought he will come back. I'm like, nah. He's not dead. He's maybe hiding from all the death threats and what, but it's denial. He'll be back. It's denial for the longest time. It, it actually hit me in 2019 that this man is not coming. Back. After how long is that? After like um, nine years. Nine years. That's when it hit me. Like you, he's not coming back. He really isn't. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember afterwards watching mom because he passed on in June, in December, on 24th to be exact, we were evicted from our home. So I remember like after their sleeping church and what and seeing how everyone who had been because of burial, eh? You'd think it's like a meet and greet for I don't know who, which people. Mm-hmm. And everyone was all like, I've booked this kid. I'll be the one to pay for tuition. Oh, we're going to take care of you, our sister. Those things. But seeing how people avoided her phone calls after, how some insulted her and we we watched, we listened, it it affected us. So much. They <sighs> she was trying to follow up on the promises made. Yeah. And she was met with insults. Yeah. And we are also witnesses to those promises. Yeah. What did that make of human beings in your head? The first thing that came to my mind was my dad telling me that you have to do whatever it takes to always be your best because people want you at your best. So I just zoned out that part of me, that part of me that was caring that, oh my God, we're a baby family because we were really young. My siblings were like in lower primary. We had a baby who was a few months old the last born. So shortly after that, my mom also lost her job. And the treatment we saw her getting, the treatment we saw us getting, like the people you were close to before, now you reach out and uh, someone is, I think they would be like, what does this one want? Because like you'd reach out, either your phone call never gets responded to, or your messages are just, I think looked at and just ignored. Family functions would get to know on Facebook, on like family. TV. 
TV. When you say family, these are your paternal relatives or even maternal relatives? Uh, no, paternal relatives. You'd get to know on TV, on phone, they send pictures. When things are done. So I'm like, okay, so meaning in our state, we are just, we can't be anything in society. Does that mean we can't be important to anyone? Don't we deserve anything? It made me think that because I witnessed my dad love. That man loved people in sometimes an annoying way. <laughs> <laughs> Because growing up, our home was always full of people. Full of people. Oh, I'm helping this one study this course. I'm helping this one do this. I'm like full of people. And within a very short amount of time, there was no one. And we just had to think. Like you just look around and you're like, okay, we are on our own until we make something of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That made my siblings be a certain kind of way. They closed up. You couldn't get a conversation. You'd be at our home and you never hear anyone talking. <laughs> You're just watching TV. In silence. Yeah. No conversation. No. Just TV. We love movies. So we would watch like movies day, like 24 hours. But no one knows how someone is feeling or if they have friends or what nah, just watch movies and keep quiet for the longest time mm. my mom being who she is she also she just loves people even in that space she would, she brought people to join us as well to be like always having people around and so many times the things that people did would make it worse so what I did, like any t- any chance I got, I would be away from home. I would just be away. Any chance I got, I would be away. I remember after form six, I think my family used to see me once or twice a year. <laughs> Your immediate family? Yeah. I think they used to see me once or twice a year because I was always up to something. I would look for volunteer opportunities, which I love to do, but I was doing it to block out something. So I would look for volunteer opportunities and I would always want those ones that are really far. Like, take me to Nakapiripiri. <laughs> take me to Zombo. Take me, like, take me to those really remote areas where yeah. there's no network because I don't want people to communicate to me. Even network you were taking into consideration. Yeah. So where are people <laughs> looking for what facilities are nearby? You're looking for what is lacking. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the space. That's what I would always look out for. In case there's a volunteer opportunity to some refugee settlement somewhere. That's where I want to be. That's where I would go and be there and come back. Then go somewhere else and be up to something else. Then I would always uh, tell mom, as long as you get mobile money from me, I'm good. I'll talk to you whenever I can. And she would always be like, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it went on like that for the longest time. For the longest time until it started to come out. Because you can bottle in things for just a short while. So everything started blow back. I lost so much. I was really small. Like, worryingly small. You were smaller than that? Yeah. You're now big? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> nice. That's interesting to know. Where do we... Oh my God. People will see me now. Just be like, oh my God, you're big. <laughs> I was really small. Okay. And then um, it was now evident. My scars were evident. I was so good at us, like... Covering them up, mm-hmm. concealing them. But now it was evident. I would go to places and someone can tell something is up. Yet I'd put up a charade for so long and I didn't expect anyone to see through me. But now it started to pour out. It made me very less professional in my work. I remember back then I was a model. So um, I would go to a show. 
and sometimes designers can be a little bit <laughs> disturbing. So they can bring an outfit they're like, so you try that one. And let's say they had allocated something else with measurements for you. And then so many times I would refuse, I would get a point and refuse to go on stage. I'm like, I'm not going. And I stay. <laughs> on the D-Day? Yeah. Like, I'm not going. I... And then <laughs> everyone would look at me like, what do you mean you're not going? I'm like, I'm not wearing that. I'm not going wearing that. Then I would make impulsive decisions. Even though it's 2 a.m., once I say I have to go to whatever district it is, I'll travel. 2 a.m.? Yeah, 2, 1. I really didn't care. However late it is, if I want to go somewhere, I'm going to go. And I don't care. Although is even be praying for an accident or no. Always be like, Bananke. but I move late in the night. How comes I don't, I, get this? I don't get any problems? <laughs> Why am I being attacked or something? I? I, it became like really bad. The times where I would go to a photo shoot and they require you to smile and I couldn't smile. It, it was really hard for me. Like every time I would smile, my cheekbones would like shiver, try to smile. My cheekbones shiver and I start crying. <laughs> so I just, I, they would always make sure smiling photo shoots them out. Just, no, no, not part of them. Then, uh, <laughs> you know why I'm laughing? <laughs> why? Oh my God. You know, in these stories that people tell, sometimes we start seeing ourselves. <laughs> for a very long time I found so much peace in seeing my long face I always say smiling is boring like I think I think part of me actually felt like there was nothing to be happy about mm. so <laughs> this friend of mine Lincoln 2017 that's when he asks but why are your photos always like this like, what's wrong with them? They're okay. Like, I was very comfortable in that kind of skin. And it's like, you have a beautiful smile. You should smile. I was like, yeah. And then, 2000 and, could it have been 18 or 19? This photographer, his name is uh, Moxie. He was, he was trying to take a picture of me. And he was like, you smile. You have a beautiful smile. Smile. And I smiled. And I looked at the picture, I was like, okay, this actually <laughs> looks good. <laughs> but yeah. now hearing your side, I was like, Kumbe, this is a serious thing. Because <laughs> I had never really put the story together. Of course, there was, there was another story that had gotten implanted in my head. But I think the other st struggles of life also piled on top of it. And wow. When your friends rallied to pay your tuition did you feel like hmm, maybe i'm worthy of love no i i felt like they had now seen through me i felt like i was now open there to be done to whatever but i was eh, i would always be grateful i was my eh, my mom my mom made prayers eh? up to now she prays for them <laughs> Yeah, but like um, I was really glad but then I felt like I had lost that boundary I had put for people to see through me I felt like now I was a burden to now everyone because sometimes I would be in class and then a random teacher who is not even teaching me comes and it's like have pocket money And being in a class where everyone can afford whatever. Because these students rallied tuition for me from pocket money. That's crazy. They didn't call their parents for money. They used their pocket money. 
So I would always feel like, oh my God, now, now they are just automatically seeing someone who is really not on their level. I will not be able to make friends here because everyone will be like, who wants to deal with a broke? <laughs> who wants to deal with this, you know? But they really didn't care. It was all in my head. Mm. Like, <laughs> they were really happy. Like, no one even ever told me about till date. No one has ever asked me about it. No one has brought it up. No one. Right. But me, I felt like, oh God. And that made it worse. Now, I closed up much more. I'll just come to class, do what I have to do, and go to bed. But then my health my health had become really terrible. So I was always in the sick bay. I was always in the sick bay. Sometimes they would have to carry me. And they would carry me, Bambi, <laughs> to the sick bay. But then I'm like, I'm also adding sickness on top of them helping me. <laughs> my health is choosing to so burden. <laughs> right. Oh, I felt like um, this is unfair to do to anyone. They do not deserve that. I should, I don't know. I just wanted to do something to make up for it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in friendships, which were good. But then all the time, I would, I never told them exactly who I was because honestly speaking, I didn't even know who I was. But then whatever they wanted me to do, I would do. Places they wanted me to go out, go. Basically, overcompensate. Yeah, something like that. Anything. Like, I'll just go. Whether I have the means or not, I'll um, look for ways and just go. Okay, um. Yeah, so um, I used to just go, no questions asked. And um, I thought maybe then I would be accepted or truly loved. I felt like everyone was just pitying me, you know. So I thought maybe by doing things for them, going extra miles, because a friend of mine would call me like at 3 a.m., I'm stuck here, I'm drunk, and it didn't matter where I was. Even though it meant getting on a bus, I would. And I would come. But um, it didn't really work. <laughs> it didn't really work you realize like the more you put out all these things and your mask and you're just living for other people, you lose who you are. I reached points and I hated myself so much that I would settle for anything. Like I hated myself so much. I'm like, but Faith, how did you end up here? What are you even doing here? Why are you even doing that? But it really didn't make sense at all because I'm like, anyway, I'm getting friends here where I'm, I'm getting the love, the appreciation. And then I didn't realize at a point that it was affecting my siblings. My siblings always looked at me like someone who had everything figured out, someone really strong because... Uh, was really hard for them really really hard and they would look at me and be happy they didn't know that I was very unhappy so them seeing a whole gang of friends around me gave them hope that they are loved accepted 
where they belong. They basically seeing another set of people being with me. Mm-hmm. But what affected them most was me being present but absent in my friends lives at the same time like you would find out about their happy moments when their happy moments are done just see pictures <laughs> and when it's sad you surely be notified and then i remember my birthdays i know what okay having been at the brink of losing my life so many times mm-hmm. <laughs> birthdays are really 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 important to me <laughs> and um out anyone's birthday if i have no money if i have a katuke i'll buy a card design it or <laughs> i'll just look for something really nice I make sure you get it. If I'm not able to, I'll give you a call. Make sure I sing for you, celebrate you what, whenever I'm able to, you will see something. But then mine I never got anything. <laughs> My birthday would reach actually the funny thing is during that time there were kind of coincidence of events. Every time my birthday reached something bad would happen. Either a day before, either I'm in a barrio or something is going on. I felt like, you know, even God doesn't want me to celebrate my birthdays. Like, I'm supposed to be dead. What am I doing here? So them seeing all that, they're like, but you give out so much love. So much. It's even annoying. But we've never seen you receive any. Like, we've not seen it. And I'll be like, no, you know. <laughs> you try to, like, beat around the bush about it, but they're seeing it. They're seeing you do things that are out of character. Things that you wouldn't normally do other people going extra miles and for you they are suffering alone like it gave them hard time they they like I would go to see them in school and I'm like show me your friend and they have none they be like for what <sighs> why should we get friends for what ah <laughs> they hated people like there's a way they would just zone out around people you never see or hear anything about anything they say you'd never hear anything from them when people are around mm-hmm. they'll just be like an autopilot looking you like what's going on is this the same self image that you carried in the abusive relationship that you talked about in the book yeah the time of the abusive relationship now at that point i just dropped out of school because we couldn't afford anymore and that really hit me hard because me in my head i was like oh i'm going to finish school get a first class or second class <laughs> perform really well get a good job fend for my family and finally they can you know they can see good stuff happen to them they can experience good things mm-hmm. they can know they can forget sleeping hungry they can forget going weeks and only feeding on let's say water and cassava or something like they'll forget that i'll give my siblings that childhood i experienced so when that kind of slipped out i'd never imagined a plan b i was really 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 in a bad place and i remember during that time 
my friends are progressing, life is going on in well. And I felt like I didn't fit there anymore. I would be like, how do I hang out with people who have degrees? How do I hang out with people who are going on about their dreams, who have jobs, who have families, who are not paying rent? I would always think about that. I'm like, how do I even start fitting in there? Mm-hmm. You know, this person has someone to call for upkeep. This one has this, but I didn't. So I felt like I can't fit in the equation anymore. I continue to distance. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. They also like didn't reach out. So I was like, let it just be like that. So I met this guy in the space where I was alone. Really alone. So when I got a glimpse of now a new friendship, I'm like, okay, now. And we were all into the same things. All go-getters and what. I'm like, I'm now comfortable here. But before it was kind of a long distance thing. Just talks each other once in a while. Now when they moved, it was now like often. And that's when I started to see things. That's when I started to experience what he was like. But then I didn't care because I was like, this is the only person I have. This is the only person that sees me daily. So each time he would beat me, he would apologize. I'm like, maybe I did something wrong. And then he would be like, yeah, you're getting attention from male people. Yet you're not that pretty. You're really ugly. I'll be like, I'm really sorry. And then I'd go back. Because to me, that's, that was the only security I had. That's um, the only person I had at that time. So um, getting out of there was, it wasn't even me. I remember this time a friend of mine reached out like, hey, you're lost. I think I had this tendency of making people feel better. I became so good at forgetting my things that I would be present and fully present for someone. So this friend of mine was going through a very, very, very rough breakup and they are mental health was they were really not doing okay because they would spend the whole day on liquor and cigarettes no food everyone was concerned so I reach out and I tell the and I reach out and the person wasn't really you know talking I'm like okay they may also deal with my stuff so one day they reach out they're like I want to see you so they come I take them out we talk so I made them feel better. So they started calling my place rehab. So they would be like, anytime I'm feeling bad, I'll come. So anytime they felt bad, they would come. So this day they come. And um, this guy was present. And he's like, I don't remember what we're talking about. But he was bragging about beating women. Like they have to listen. They have to be disciplined. The friend that you're that the friend that you're talking about was it a guy or okay? I think if it was a guy, it would have been worse. <laughs> it was a woman, right? <laughs> no, it was a guy. It was <laughs> okay. He listened. He wanted to kill someone. He's like, who says that? Like how? How does someone say that? But then. I knew if he had done anything, that night would be rough on me. So I tell him, you know what, you have to go. I push them. 
go. They keep calling me. They're like, but madam. So there is him asking who says that mm. without having knowledge yeah. <sighs> that they're a source of hope. <laughs> yeah. So I remember pushing them and I tell them, no, you go home. I'll be fine. At, um, when I got back, after a while, it takes clar- it's, uh, everything is collected. He started telling me things like, I wish you would die. Like, why are you still alive? You should die. You're a very miserable person. All those people, I remember the organization I was running at the time had got recognition. Uh, the NGO board was inviting us. Like, we had really tapped into like a lot of spaces because of the work we were doing. And it would be like, those people are hyping you for nothing. You're a very stupid person. Like, you think you know anything. They're just pitying you because you're a young girl. And that's it. And I believed him. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You're right, by the way. Not in a sarcastic way. You really believed him. Yeah, not in a sarcastic way. Because still this was the person that you were seeing a lot. Yeah. So, someday, he strangles me and someone came. And they fought. It it was really this huge fight and what, what. But then the person getting involved, I'm like, wait, you should not have gotten involved. I'll be killed. <laughs> you go and something will happen to me. So they they be like, okay. They tell police. <laughs> they tell police, I was like, today I'm dead. So they took action on my behalf. I was hiding. I had to look for some place to hide. I remember I hid in some unfinished building. <laughs> it, was close. it was close to us. I couldn't go to my workplace because I knew he knew the place. So I had to hide a place where no one could suspect I would be. So I was somewhere in the neighborhood until he was taken away. But even when he left and all that happened, I would be there and I, and I miss him. I was so used to, to eat. I'd be like, I need someone to be telling me the truth. He was the only person telling me the truth. So I need someone to tell me these things. So in short, you had started seeing yourself through his eyes. Yeah. For the longest time. And like, now that was the time I quit modeling. I had started pageantry as I was doing well. But every time I was like, now every time I would step on stage and I'm walking that runway, I would just be like, but you're not pretty enough to be here. You're not, you shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So I quit. I stopped going. And now people in the modeling world were used to me. So they would even call me. They'd be like, Faith, where are you? You're supposed to be here for something. And I would forge an excuse. I'd be like, eh, I'm up country. So they were used to me being up country. So they were like, oh, okay. But I'm there, seated. <laughs> and it went on like that for the longest time. That was the last time I modeled. Didn't it worsen your emotional state? Because I'm looking at something that you loved and there are people going an extra mile. Do I call it an extra mile? People calling you for it, reminding you of what you loved. And then you're just on the other side of life. It really did. It it hurt. Like, I would even watch these shows and I cry. I'm like, I miss being out there. But then I'm like, Maybe the next big thing will come for me. So I concentrated more on the work I was doing at the time. But then the work I was doing became unsafe. It became so unsafe for me and my co-director. Death threats were being stalked. 
the time he was beaten to near death. At the time, I was almost poisoned. Like, there was a lot of insecurity. And that also, we could not continue. We had to pause. And that broke my heart because serving those people was like the only reason I was alive. It was the only reason that would keep me going. Like I would be like, oh, I know I'm going to go to this area and I'm going to do my best. People do not know anything about me. They do not know what I'm struggling with. So I'll be out there and I will be their mama face, like they used to call me. I'll be their mama face and I'll be laughing. I'll be doing these things. And it was now no more. So it took a toll. I'm like, I'm no longer modeling. I'm no longer doing this. Now, what am I doing with my life? And by then, I had enrolled for a diploma in law. And I loved doing it. I loved it so much. But then at the same time, I couldn't help but wonder. I'm like, I think this is also going to fail. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think this is also going to fail along the way. So fast forward, time for graduation. I had a paper that was missing. And then I had to write a letter, what, what. <laughs> and the letter didn't even avail anything. So I'm like, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Mm. <laughs> I knew it. What made me think this was going to work out? And I zoned out. And during that zoning out and everything, my family was also in my case. So I got a graduation. When are you graduating? Hey, did your daughter graduate? They would ask my mom. And I think... She reached a point that she had no answers. So she would, she said she told some of them that she stopped seeing results in second year. And it kind of gave them authority to think I was useless, ungrateful, or whatever, like a disgrace. And it really hurt, it, it really hurt so much because now these are people who have not been in our lives, they've not done anything. And now, because they're not seeing this kind of progress, I'm now looked at like, she ate that usual. Mm, that part. <laughs> I kind of just stopped responding to any of their calls. Mm-hmm. I disappeared. I even kind of stopped talking to my mom. And then in that space, I found out that I'm even pregnant. Surely. Like proving to them, hey, this is it. It is now in your face. I'm like, okay, faith. <laughs> what more do I? <laughs> this is it. Yeah. You've outdone yourself. <laughs> You're overperforming. <laughs> <sighs> so I, no one knew. No one knew. So I zoned out. I remember those days, I found out I was pregnant at seven months and is it three, three weeks? Three weeks and four days. Seven months is when you found out? Yeah. Bro. I had just added weight. I had no signs, no symptoms. But there was the, is there a period? Before then, I used to get my period once a year. 
Jobs. <laughs> uh, surely, faith. Wow. So, so it was not a surprise. Yeah, that so, you weren't seeing it. Yeah, so I thought it was just my hormones as usual. I was not those things people be like oversleeping, my morning sickness, vomiting. What I didn't have any of that. I was perfectly fine. I would wake up, do my work, do whatever. By then, I was working at massacre court. Mm. I would do what I have to do daily, like normally, nothing out of the ordinary, no cravings, no overeating, anything people attributed to pregnancy wasn't happening in my life. So I didn't think I would. I was gaining weight. And I'm like, what is making me Finally. Happy? Oh, finally. <laughs> Your prayers have come true. <laughs> I'm like, I'm healing. <laughs> oh, that part. And during that time, I'd started talking to a doctor. So I'm like, it's working. It's working. Yeah. I even increased the sessions. I'm like, I think I should, I should speak to you more often. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happens was, when I found out, the first thing I did was, I can't do this. I, I can't. So I went to Google. I looked for all the medication they tell pregnant women not to take. That's exactly what I would take. Seven months, man. When I told the dad, oh, he's like, no, <laughs> it can't happen. Like, whatever happened between us happened once. And, yo, we moved on with our lives. Like, because we were friends. And everyone kind of just moved on with their lives after that. Like, no one ever talked about it. Nothing. So now you're telling him, hey, I'm eight months pregnant. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, I could understand his position. And then also at the same time, I, I didn't want him getting involved because me, I wanted both of us to die, me and my child. So I was doing everything possible. I was working 24 hours a day to make sure we both die. <laughs> Take bad medication, drink everything I'm not supposed to drink. Over time. Everything. But then um, one thing that whole thing taught me was if something is just going to happen, there's nothing you can do about it. Because this kid stayed and she was very healthy. <laughs> yeah. Very, very healthy. Reminding me of my sister-in-law. She went for the very first time she decided to go for those the, the procedures of uh, family planning. The very first time in her life. And that's when she decided to get twins. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Life is funny. Because she felt like these two kids are enough. (laughs) So she went for the procedure. Well, two came at once. What? Yeah. Anyway, going through all that and more that we might not expound on today was put me in a position whereby. I wouldn't want anyone, anyone to be in that same position. If someone can reach out, then that's the best thing. Like, that's how the community got passed. Like, my experience, eh, self-destructive behavior, impulsiveness. Like, In your book, you mentioned that you felt like you had to stay for your mom and your siblings. Yeah. I think that gave me some sort of relief. I was like, oh, thank God. Because after surviving the episodes of suicidal ideations and also having to face the news of people that actually go through with it, it always made me feel like oh, they just didn't find anyone in the home to stay for, you know? 
Because at least for me, I was like, yeah, my mom deserves to have me around. So can we speak a little bit about the role of having a healthy environment at home? The role it plays in helping someone choose otherwise? What I would say to that is, however healthy the environment is, truthfully, if I'm at that point, I'm only feeling the bad things. The only thing that is coming to me is these people would be better off without me. Right. Because despite the fact that loved my family so much, I would always be like, but look what I've done. Mm-hmm. I have no degree. I have no stable job. <laughs> I just do gig gigs. <laughs> I'm just here. Like, I'm useless. I'm not bringing pride. Yeah. I've not made even this lady proud in any way. Like, there's nothing to brag about with me here. My siblings, what, what are they even looking at? Mm-hmm. I remember unconsciously sometimes they would tell me, hey, this one's big sister is doing this for them. Uh, this one's, you know? And I'm like, look at you. So having a healthy environment is good at home, but for the sake of them noticing. Not that someone will be like, oh, let me stay for mommy, daddy, sister, or brother, or daughter, or spouse. No. For the sake of the wife notices something is wrong with the husband. The husband notices something's wrong with the wife. The mom notices something is wrong with their kid. The whoever is it notices something is up. So that's the kind of environment we require. Because... Yes, I might love you so much, but I can't stay for you. That's the sad truth. You know how people are always quick to be like, oh, he had a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. Should have... it, it, it really doesn't matter. It, at that point, it doesn't matter. The only thing, if it's an environment where all of you have always been open with your feelings, mm. openly speaking, it's easy for this one to be like, eh, something is up. Yeah. And then be more present and find ways of helping you. But the, the victim can't think for themselves right. that I need to stay because their mind, the only thing their mind is thinking about is I'm better off dead. I don't really need to be on this planet. So if the people around us can notice that this person is drowning and they need someone so desperately and they're just waiting for you to open up, then they'll lose you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any parting shows that you would want the listener to walk away with? Oh, I would love to encourage them to be patient with themselves. It's not easy. It's not easy. When you're used to your life a certain way and you want things to be carried out a certain way or you've received rejection, you've been through trauma, it's not easy to be kind to yourself, to love yourself. But I just want you to know that you're enough, that you're loved, you are accepted. Just take it one day at a time. It's okay. You can take as long as you want. You know, nobody's cloak. You don't owe anyone anything. And that's a sad fact. Your people might not accept that you don't owe them anything, but you should know you don't owe anyone anything that you're rushing to do. When the time is right, everything will fall in place. Yeah. I would love people to really be kind to them, to people. Be kind to each other. And be present and be intentional. If you like someone, if someone is your friend or your sibling or your spouse or your, whoever the person, whatever the person means to you, be intentional. If you carry on that responsibility of being someone something, then be intentional about that. Then you will not lose this person and you will not stay up wondering what happened. I should have done this Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you so much for hanging out with us to the very end. From faith, I am assured that resilience has a possibility of lending us another chance to thrive in life. If you loved this episode, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button in your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to share your insights about what connected with you on social media and tag us. We are at hashtag with Navguzichwanka on Facebook and Instagram and on X. Our handle is at HTNK podcast or you can use the hashtag HTNK in session. See you next week.